Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Every single one of our full-time employees will benefit from the increase of value of our company. It's not just our shareholders that benefit, every single one of our employees benefit from that. So it takes that concept of ownership to a whole new level, I think. And that's something, again, going to the point about supporting those small and medium-sized enterprises, it's also the people who are working in our factories, driving our trucks out of the distribution centers, answering the phones and customer service centers. Those people all benefit from the increase in valuation of the company as well. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, when you joined Profitero, it was PE backed. Am I remembering correctly? You are remembering correctly. I actually officially joined as we had gotten some new PE investors in an infusion of capital. They were pretty close. They stayed extremely close to the business. And you, Madeer? I would say I'm growth equity backed. I have, I would say, half of my cap tables, more classic venture capital types. And then the other half are what I describe as PE light, which is they play in sort of this middle area where they find companies that have product market fit, but haven't infused all the growth capital to really reach scale. So like, you know, my PE light investors came in when we were less than 100 employees to give you an idea of scale. But I would say with all of these folks, the thing that I find interesting with the PE model is that they're very clear on sort of the time horizons of when they expect returns and what type of returns. And I think what's cool about that is that you as a management team or even an employee get to make a personal decision if you want to sign up for that because your incentives have to be aligned with the people who put capital into the company. Yeah, when I joined Profitero, one of the things that was really interesting to me, and it's not like I hadn't been at a PE-backed company before, 360, I was PE-backed before it got bought by Dentsu, but at Profitero specifically, one of the things that was fascinating because I had joined after the company had already been around for a number of years, was the level of transparency that was given to the employee base because it was such a high degree of shared consciousness because everybody had some element of skin in the game. There was an ownership mindset. If you were spending money, it was as if it was your own money. And it changes the way you think about how you spend and how you earn. 
Because if you treat this like it's your own checkbook, it's a very different mindset. And as somebody who's worked in serial entrepreneurially minded environments, that's something that comes naturally to me. That's not necessarily something that comes naturally to people that have worked in other kind of environments, whether that's bigger companies where you're a smaller cog in the machine or public companies where in certain cases, your goals are your goals, but it's not as clear how that necessarily ladders up. So it's not a public versus private thing, I think, but I do think that PE, because they are so transparent about the expectation levels, it changes the mindset in certain ways. Yeah. And I think the fascinating thing about PE is that it hits all industries and it's even hitting folks in consumer products. Chris Chesborough, who we're about to bring onto the show, who leads Global Digital at Wella, when he joined, he first was an employee of Cody. And then KKR came in and did a spinoff for the Wella business. So it's a massive business, but everyone who's signing up to work for Wella, their incentives are aligned with KKR. And there's a real spirit of entrepreneurship and ownership that you're about to hear from Chris. Let's have a listen. And he's calling in all the way from Paris. Hey, Chris. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you've had quite the career that would make you think that you've always been in Paris, but that isn't the case. (laughs) You know, you and I met when you were at L'Oreal, then you moved to Cody and you essentially stayed there, but then the company did a spinoff into where you now work at Wella. What is it about the beauty industry that's captured your attention for so many years? Sure. So I have to say, I didn't really decide very demonstratively to go into beauty. It kind of just happened. I had been working in the media industry. I started my career at OMD, worked on a lot of different clients there. And a former boss had moved to a new agency and that agency was servicing L'Oreal at the time. And a job popped up. She offered me the opportunity to interview for it. And it just kind of made sense. The person who I spoke to was really great, which is one of the key themes about why I like beauty. Beauty has a lot of really amazing people in the industry. So it kind of just happened a little bit naturally and organically. And definitely, if I were to rewind to before that, I never would have said in 15, 20 years, I'd be working in beauty still. But the industry is just really fantastic. It's incredibly dynamic. And that dynamism is really driven by the way that consumers actually consume the products. So, you know, there's this concept of influencers or editors, but I think in beauty, really the consumers are the ones who are making the choices. And it's so fast paced and tied to that consumer behavior. It's just a lot of fun. Going back to the the people part of it, I really fundamentally believe that People drive success in business over everything else. And in the places where I've worked in beauty, the people who have been on those businesses that I've worked in have just been a lot of fun. And I have a lot of now, I would say, people who will be lifelong friends who I've met in the beauty industry, either people who worked at publishers who I used to work with, people who I've worked side by side with at companies like L'Oreal or or Cody or now Wella. So the people aspect of it for me is also just really interesting. And it's tied to the people aspect of it, but beauty changes people's lives every single day. It's a tool that a lot of people use to look and feel the way that they want to look and feel when they wake up or they leave the gym or whatever whatever it might be. So you can have fun, but you can also really support people's sense of self. And that's something that I find really rewarding. 
And specific to our business, you know, roughly two thirds of what we do is done with small businesses, real small and medium sized enterprises. So knowing how much of a lifeblood of so many economies those small businesses are, there's something that's really also nice about that. Obviously, we're we're in the business to make more business and make more business profitably, but it's nice to be able to do that in a way that can positively impact people's lives and, and livelihoods. Well, I'd love to pick at the last thing that you said specifically about the effect that you have on smaller businesses and overall driving economy. I mean, I'm also happy to talk about the effect that beauty has on people. That's like an entire psychological deep dive. But connecting the dots between the impact on small to mid-sized businesses, you've got a pretty wide purview as chief digital officer because you've got the consumer component, you've got the professional component, and now you're in charge of all digital. Sure. How do you, in your position at Wella, think about the role that technology plays either to unify or what are the unique differences between each? If I look at it from more the B2B side of things, those professional hairstylists and nail technicians that we work with, technology is something that augments their day-to-day. It's something that should be helping them manage their business in a more efficient and effective fashion. It should be something that helps us bring more clients into their front door or into their booking platform. So I think it's something that is about creating business building services for our customers, which really ties to their customers. So I see technology really as an augmenter for the B2B side of things. On the consumer side of things, it is really knitting together from the, you know, I'll use an older school analogy, but the highest point of the funnel to the lowest point in the funnel. We don't do a lot of sales directly with consumers. We have a couple of brands that do, but the majority of what we do is sold through a third party like an Amazon or an Ulta or what have you. So not having end-to-end visibility on awareness to conversion and loyalty, we have to use technology as a way of getting to a, a proxy of measuring the effectiveness of that funnel conversion. So to me, it's really critical on the B2B side of things because restaurants, as an example, uh, and I'll use where I am in, in, in France, not a lot of restaurants were using online booking systems prior to the pandemic. And then after the pandemic, they all are. Every restaurant's got a QR code menu. So there was a massive, massive transition there from a a restaurant perspective. That same thing hasn't yet happened in the same way for the salon channel. And that's one of the places where where we're focused on helping them adopt technology that helps them manage their business in, in a more effective and efficient way. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. 
Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. You know, in contrast to, and I, I love framing how a large portion of the business is impacting small businesses. In contrast to that, Wella in itself is a PE-backed enterprise. Mm-hmm. That's quite different than working at L'Oreal. How has working now at a PE-backed enterprise impacted the way that you think about business, how you lead, potentially, I guess, how you even engage with consumers? I would say there's probably a couple of things. One, there is a lot more ownership when you're working in a PE-backed business, especially when you're in a business that used to be part of a much larger corporate structure and then was separated from that corporate structure. And now effectively, we are corporate. Everyone who works in the company is corporate because we are the only ones who are working there. There's a much greater level of ownership and then also of, of responsibility. There's not another country or another division that can help close a gap if there's a gap in the main business. So it requires a a much more hands-on type of approach, I believe. And a lot of big companies like to talk about being entrepreneurial. And I think the definition of entrepreneurial in a corporate setting is a little bit more accurate when you're talking about a business that is private equity backed. The other thing that I think is really interesting and really core to the KKR model is this concept of broad-based ownership. And what that essentially means just for everyone is that every single one of our full-time employees will benefit from the increase of value of our company. So if our company is worth $100 today and worth $150 tomorrow, it's not just our shareholders that benefit from that. Every single one of our employees benefit from that. So it takes that concept of ownership to a whole new level, I think. And that's something, again, going to the point about supporting those small and medium-sized enterprises. It's also the people who are working in our factories, driving our trucks out of the distribution centers, answering the phones and customer service centers. Those people all benefit from the increase in valuation of the company as well. And that's something that really resonates with me. So in summary, a stronger level of entrepreneurship, a much stronger sense of ownership. Probably the last thing would just be speed. Obviously, investments have cycles. So even though we're looking on building something for the long term, there are cycles to those investments. So the need to deliver results in a very tangible way in a very tight time frame is also a, a muscle that's, I think, gotten stronger for myself and for the team since becoming a standalone private company. I've had the reverse plan, Chris, <laughs> twice now. So go from PE back to uh, getting swallowed up by a bigger company. But yes, let's put it this way. We've all been there. But Rachel, please continue. (laughs) And I'm personally living it right as a venture-backed tech company. Yes. My question to you, Chris, is something that I've observed over the years is that people who are mid to senior in their career, they understand equity, probably because they were able to like taste it or a friend was able to taste it and they've just become more knowledgeable and they understand why equity matters. Yep. When it comes to folks who are earlier in their career, like the first 10 years of their career, I have found that equity almost doesn't mean anything to them. Mm -hmm. It's been hard to figure out how do you make it clear? Like, hey, you're an owner in this company, act like an owner, and this really could become something down the road. How have you manifested that ownership mindset within your team, especially with younger employees? Sure. I think it's a really, really good point. And I would generally agree with you the longer term incentives don't resonate the same way for the younger folks. And I remind myself to being 25, I don't think I had the same 
thought process that I have today, if that's for sure. What we're looking at, and, and this is a relatively new program, it's about four to six months old for us, is really creating moments on a very regular basis on ideas that create value for the company. So our program is called WOW, which stands for We Own Our Way. Obviously, our company starts with a W, so we use that framework in a lot of the internal communications branding. On a almost monthly basis in the markets and a slightly less frequent basis at a global level, we celebrate the ideas that come from all sorts of different teams in the company that would either create additional sales, create operational efficiency, and highlight those to the relevant teams. A lot of the types of ideas that can create operational value come from people who work in supply chain, come from people who work in in a factory because they're the ones who see how much time it takes to change one bottle mold to the next bottle mold and how much downtime that creates on a production line. What we're trying to do is, is showcase on regular intervals those types of ideas to inspire the other employees to find those types of ideas themselves. So it's not a simple, simple thing to fix, but that's the way that we're trying to tackle it. I love the idea of celebrating those ideas and infusing it into the company culture. Yep. You talked about it, how a large portion of the business is engaging in sort of the B2B model. And we don't spend a lot of time talking about B2B commerce on the show. You're on the ground floor. You're seeing everything that's happening through a global lens. Sure. What should folks be aware of in terms of B2B commerce innovation? Are there headwinds and tailwinds? Like, please educate us. I think it definitely depends on what category of B2B that you're in. We're not selling to doctor's offices. We're not selling to software as a service. So I think our category, because we're talking about beauty products, is more of like a B2B, but the second B is a small case B and sometimes looks like a C. Because we have a lot of our hairdressers, really, they're consumers who happen to be hairdressers and who happen to purchase products from us. So I think that our specific category, honestly, is a little bit right now in a transition phase to being more consumer focused than B2B focused. And we see that really manifest itself also in the actual construction of the market. Like 60% nearly of hairdressers in the US now don't work at one single salon. They work across multiple salons. They work in a place like a Salon Republic, where it's a bunch of different booths. Those in New York will know Astor Place Barbers. It's like Astor Place Barbers, but completely reinvented and, and modernized. Those types of people, they are consumers. They're stopping by a Sally Beauty Supply on their way from one appointment to another to fill their basket for their next client. So for us, it's about how are we intercepting those kinds of moments, providing the right service to them. So it's about taking something that was purely a transactional experience and adding more of those business building experiences and business building tools to that transactional experience. Like the way we kind of talk about it is like how we shift from e-commerce of product to e-commerce of product and service. In my mind, that for our category of B2B, that's the future for us. It's not just about the product, it's about everything else that goes along with it. Do you see your role or maybe whether that's white space or not? And okay, so focus group of one, which is by far the worst thing you could ever do, fine, but my hairdresser, one of her biggest complaints, she works for a bunch of salons, so very similar to what you're talking about. But my hairdresser is like, I hate how undigitized basically the salon experience is. You're lucky if you could do digitized appointments. 
You're lucky if the people that own the salons even know how to use their smartphone. It's just such a analog industry, still relatively speaking, when you're dealing with that B2B. Do you see a role from the supplier manufacturer side in helping them advance or like that's totally not your role? We 100% consider that part of our responsibility. The professional hair industry, the professional nail industry, it's a people first industry. And the majority of uh, salon owners are actually also women. So it's something where it's about supporting those small businesses in a transitionary period. Right now, you know, I think we are doing a, a number of different things. We still have a lot more work to do. And that's something that I also consider relatively unique to what we are doing is that we are really doubling down on supporting the industry and doubling down on supporting the salon channel where a number of our competitors and a number of other players in the market are are a little bit going the opposite direction and going to a more self-service model versus a more a more hands-on model that that we have. And that hands-on model, like one of the things that was said to me very early on when I started in the company is that the professional business is about hands-on hair. And that hands-on hair is obviously a very concrete human interaction. And that's going to be, I think, important. I mean, the conversation with your hairdresser, I doubt you've had that same conversation with the maitre d' at a restaurant, right? It'd be surprising if you had that same conversation with the person checking you out at Whole Foods, so it's the conversation where you don't really have those discussions with a lot of other businesses that you interact with, but you do with your hairdresser. My hairdresser, he says something, I buy it. No exactly. questions asked. Yeah, exactly. A hairdresser is more like a bartender. Exactly. I would say hairdresser is like a primary care physician. <laughs> That's a good one, Rachel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that. Yeah. It could be that. It could be your therapist. It could be your BFF. There's a regularity to it. Exactly. And there's just a cone of silence that goes along with it. Yes, Exactly. Exactly, exactly. So I think we do see an obligation to helping them transition through business change and through the way things work. I'll take COVID as an example. And at a certain point, I'll have to stop using COVID examples, but this is a good example. In a lot of markets in Europe, the governments were, were supplementing salaries for businesses that were shuttered. And the way of accessing that was not always the most straightforward way. So we, in a number of markets, shifted education that would have been about how to apply a new technique or a new style or the way a new shampoo impacts the longevity of color. We shifted that to here's how to access the benefits that the federal government in France or Germany or whatever it might be for your employees. So you can get that 80% top up of base salary for the, the period of lockdown in COVID. So I think that's the kind of thing where it's a, a clear example of investing not just in selling stuff that's going to ultimately sell our products, but helping that customer's business grow and in certain cases survive during that period, but also grow on a, on a longer term basis. It's really, really important for us. Well, Chris, it's, I love the analogies, especially with the European government. I'm curious how you're going to answer this question. What's the bravest thing that you've ever done? I would say the bravest thing was was leaving the US. Moving to France has turned out to be one of the best decisions of my life, but was a very, very difficult decision to make at the time. I, like many Americans, had obviously traveled abroad a little bit, but had never really lived abroad. Moving to a new country where at the time I didn't speak the language at all. I had about you know four weeks worth of lessons prior to moving. 
and then coming over here and integrating myself with my wife and, and everyone into the into the culture and into a new job and the global HQ of the largest beauty business in the world. It was a lot of different things happening at once. And like I said, it turned out to be the best decision I ever made. Been here for seven years almost, just became naturalized citizens of France. So we get to have both passports, which is also really exciting. But I would say that was probably the bravest thing. Perfect timing before the next U.S. election. Exactly. <laughs> Chris, we're so appreciative for your time, for your insights. It's clear why you love the beauty business. Folks, follow him on LinkedIn to see what's happening. Thank you all very much. Well, hopefully you just got a little bit of a crash course on both working at a private equity company as well as B2B commerce. If you're interested in thinking more about how companies are capitalized and how it shapes their company culture and their business strategy, let's go on a tour of different types of companies. Family-owned, one of the best-known ones is Mars. Go check out Anton's episode, who runs sales for Mars. For venture-backed, we've had quite a few, but you can go check out Belgian Boys as well as Magic Spoon. And then nearly so many of our episodes are public companies. But if you want to think about public companies that have changed hands a few times, you can go check out Pam Kaufman at Paramount. Each one of these companies breeds different dynamics and strategies, and we hope you give it a listen. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.